Hello and welcome to another episode of the Apex Law Podcast. I'm Alexander Theo Harris. And I'm Peter Smith. And today we have a special guest, Nabil Istefanis, who's going to be joining us. We'll introduce him in just a minute, but before we get going, we do want to note that while Peter and I are attorneys, we're not your attorneys. If you have any questions and need legal advice, be sure to contact a competent attorney in your jurisdiction. This is for general educational purposes only. All right, so I'm really, really happy to welcome Nabil with us today. Nabil's with Celtic Capital Corporation, and they are an alternative to traditional lending. And Nabil's going to talk to us today about that. But before we get quite into that, Nabil, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, what you used to do before, what you do now. Great. Thank you so much, first of all, Peter and Alex, for inviting me onto your podcast. As you mentioned, I'm I'm Nabil. I'm with Celtic Capital. We're an alternative lender, basically an asset-based lender, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But before I got into this space, I was a lawyer. I'm, I'm a recovering lawyer, no well, longer practicing law, right? <laughs> Actually was in the health insurance industry for many years. I was a chief compliance officer in a highly regulated industry. I was a chief privacy official, built a program at a regional health insurer here in town. I also you know, served as counsel, both outside counsel and in-house counsel in the regulatory arena, uh, again, in the health insurance space primarily as well as other healthcare entities. But now I am an alternative lender. And I got into this space by actually trying to set up my own business as a factoring company, and we could talk about that. But uh, I am now very pleased to join Celtic Capital and offer um, asset-based lending lines and facilities for growing companies as well as companies trying to execute a turnaround. Very good. And we're excited to have you here, Nabil, honestly, because a lot of our clients need debt funding and debt financing. And I think knowing about what you do is not mainstream or typical. And some of our clients need to know about this option. And so I'm excited to just learn more. So let's let's learn. Yeah. So obviously, you're an expert in all things lending. So maybe it makes sense to walk us through a bit of what traditional lending looks like and how that contrasts with what you're doing. Right. Well, first of all, when most people think about lending, they think about their, their neighborhood bank or a large uh, commercial bank. And bank lending is a great option for most companies. Um, They typically want clients who are mature companies, they have very healthy balance sheets, they've got a history of profits and net income, and banks are, you know, they're regulated, they're using their deposit funds, which are FDIC insured, in order to lend capital to companies. And in so doing, they need to be safe loans. You know, they have to be loans to companies with a history of profits so that they are insured that, you know, they'll be paid back. And they banks have to answer to their regulators about the health of their the health of their loans and the health of the companies that they lend to. And so there are a variety of companies that just won't fit into that profile of being able to get a traditional bank line, or maybe they can get a very small one, mm-hmm. but it's not adequate and doesn't, it's not enough financing to meet their needs. So, um, and that's why there's alternatives, non-bank financing alternatives out there. And there's a variety and we can talk a little bit. So tell us a little bit about what the bank would be looking for in a traditional lending scenario. What What's their ideal? Yeah, I can't speak for all the banks, but typically their ideal is companies that have, like I said, a history of profits. They've got a healthy balance sheet, meaning there's a lot of retained earnings and equity in the business. And, you know, so really a company is using, for example, a line of credit simply for cash flow purposes 
or um, you know, banks will make real estate loans or other kinds of secured loans based on assets. So, you know, if if you're a company and you're about to expand and buy a another facility and you want to expand into another new manufacturing facility, for example, well, you've got a history of profits, you've got a nice balance sheet, you've got quite a bit of equity. A bank is going to secure the collateral and offer a loan, but they're gonna say, well, you're gonna have to come up with a certain percentage of the purchase price in form of equity and the rest will loan, and they'll only do that for healthy businesses, right? Well, not every company is going to qualify for that that kind of financing, and and that's where the non-bank financing comes in. They're also looking for, you know, certain ratios, debt to equity ratios. They're looking for whether you can service the debt. So for example, if it's a term debt, they're gonna make sure you're, you're gonna be able to repay that debt. So they wanna see a history of profits and how much of that profits would be, how much debt can your company's you know, history of cash flows service? And those are the things they look for in a, um, in a borrower. So they're really looking for the most secure possible bets that they can make so that they don't lose out on whatever they're funding. Yes, and I, you know, of course I get, um, I get borrowers who are frustrated because they've tried to talk to several banks. And so they often joke to me is like, yeah, sure. Banks will lend you money when you don't need it. Right. (laughs) And that there's a little bit of truth to that. That's not completely true, but there's a little bit of truth to that. Mm -hmm. And then do you also find that that folks come to you because maybe they do qualify for a lot of those those buckets, but maybe the market isn't as strong or are there, I guess what I want to ask is, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but does a does a bank have requirements that don't matter for the potential customer? What I mean by that is their own internal, what they have outstanding, what they have lent vis-a-vis the market. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Their standards move, their internal standards might move. That's true. But typically in those situations, there are kinds of banks that like certain kinds of borrowers better than others. So for example, if you're a construction company, there are certain banks that just won't loan to you. But there Mm. are banks that they know, they know the construction industry, they feel comfortable with the construction industry. And so it's typical that they're going to find the banks by, by talking to their other friends that also own construction companies. It won't, or their other advisors that there are certain banks that they should talk. Mm. So in this instances where there's certain internal policies of some banks that won't lend to certain industries or just don't feel comfortable with certain kinds of credits, whereas other banks do feel comfortable, over time, generally, borrowers find those banks. Right. right? When you're typically when a borrower comes to us, they've exhausted the traditional bank financing. It's pretty clear for the most part, no healthy bank, most banks are just not going to lend to them. And that's when, you know, you really ought to be exploring non-bank financing options. So walk us through those. What, what does that typically look like? It sounds like the people who are coming are probably ones who have already tried with a bank or expect that they wouldn't be able to get anywhere with a bank in the first place. So what makes alternative lending or asset-based lending different? So let me talk first about asset-based lending. Whereas banks, I, I always describe to borrowers, banks typically they're cash flow lenders. They want to see healthy cash flows and whether you can service the debt. We're a collateral-based lender, meaning we're just focused primarily on the assets. And the assets in particular we focus on are accounts receivable, so commercial accounts receivable, inventory, and equipment. There are also other asset-based lenders that will also lend against real estate, for example. 
And we're looking to the value of that collateral for purposes of feeling safe lending a certain percentage against that collateral. And that's what we're focused on. You know, cash flow second as well, but mm -hmm. first we're gonna really look to collateral to be able to service the loan. And our recourse is because we're very comfortable, we're set up to monitor collateral very frequently, whereas mm -hmm. banks are not. So we're gonna monitor the value of the accounts receivable in the inventory on a weekly or monthly basis. Banks just aren't set up to do that. And so that's why we feel comfortable that we can monitor the collateral and we'll never overextend beyond the collateral because if it becomes clear a company is, is failing and is going to liquidate, we need to be able to exit and we will exit by liquidating the collateral. So I heard you mention AR, and I know that there's a hierarchy of assets that I'm not even gonna try to get into, but their different assets have different collateral value, right, versus uh, versus other things. For example, and you and I have talked about this before, but intellectual property has got a very low collateral value, right, because it's hard for other people to monetize that than the one who's created it and is using it. But you mentioned AR, you guys, does your company loan against AR? Yeah, we loan against AR, we love AR in part because it's protected. So AR, the AR we like is either the good or service has been delivered, meaning the customer actually owes, has received the value of the service or the product and they owe money. We know that that receivable is good. It should be collectible. If anything goes wrong with the company that had already provided the service, we're able to step into those shoes and collect saying, hey, notwithstanding that this company is no longer servicing, you got the benefit of this product and service you owe. Yes. You owe this cat. You owe this money. You you need to pay this. So bill. a good example might be the traditional example would be manufacturing, where somebody builds you a widget and you bought it, and then it's out on net thirty or net sixty or whatever it is, and they have to pay for that widget. Correct. What about something a little softer like services? So a lot of our clients do tech work and uh, consulting and services work, and the big guys these days, Microsoft, Amazon, etc., they have this ninety sixty thirty or ninety or less system, where they say, look, we're going to pay you net ninety. And if we beat that, we'll get you a discount, whatever, whatever. But yeah, within 10 days, we'll give you 2% less. Yeah, Correct. and then the terms can vary in those systems. Are you guys comfortable with something like that? We are. It depends on the service. So we want to make sure that there, it's not the kind of service where there's progress payments. We're not a ah. lender that's going to lend against, you know, let's pretend it's a big software build project and you're billing the company over time, mm -hmm. over milestones but the ultimate software is not delivered until the end of the project. We don't feel comfortable there because if something goes wrong in the middle, Microsoft or what, the customer is going to say, you know, we never actually got the value of the software. We don't owe you anything. Right, right, right? That's, that's more messy. Yeah. yeah, so it's more messy. So it depends on the nature of the service. If it's clean, it's for example, you know, staffing companies is a great example. We'll lend against to staffing companies all the time. So a staffing company may be, they say, Microsoft's gonna manage a project, they need software developers, they need eight software developers over the course of three months. And the way this staffing firm works is their employees, they're lending them out to Microsoft and their, their situation may be, they bill them at the end of the month for the hours worked. Well, that's clear. They got the, nat they got the benefit of the service. Yeah. They got the benefit of these programmers working at Microsoft's direction on, on this software development project, and the bill is due, regardless of whether the project's completed or not. Right. 
that's where we feel comfortable, yeah, we can lend against that receivable. Got it. Okay, so one of the other things that Nabil has taught me over our uh, interactions together is when and how a startup can benefit, and, and I'm talking truly about a startup, can benefit in taking on some debt and not just focusing on equity. What could you tell us about that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Thank you. So, so you know, s- startups are a great example of the kinds of clients we may be able to provide financing for and provide value. Um, startups aren't going to be traditionally, they're not going to qualify for bank financing for a variety of reasons. Number one, they're growing so rapidly, a bank line that they, you know, may negotiate it, a very small line that they may negotiate at the beginning of the year isn't going to meet their working capital needs at the end of the year. And the bank's not going to quickly keep changing the the line depending on the growth needs of the company. They 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 have a lot of diligence. Yeah. Yeah. Banks move slow. They got to be safe. It's appropriate for them to move slow. Or, you know, startups, if they're reinvesting their uh, earnings into the business, they don't show net income, Mm -hmm. right? So they're scaling, they're growing. They don't have net income. Again, they don't have the cash flow that banks will need and to feel comfortable lending to. So startups often, because they're growing, they need equity. And they're, they're always focused on raising the next round of equity, next round of equity. Well, every round of equity they raise, they're diluting their ownership interest, right? Um, so I always say, look, equity capital is the most expensive financing available. It's the most expensive capital. Yet it doesn't require you to pay back any money today. But if you think about your projections 10 years from now, let's say you raised a million dollars worth of equity today and you project in five years, you expect to be 10 times the revenue you are today. Well, guess what? That million dollars of equity that you just got at infusion to the equity investor, let's say five years if you have a liquidation event, is going to be worth $10 million to them. You will actually have to cut a check of $10 million out of the proceeds to that equity investor. There is lenders, while it more expensive than traditional bank financing, will never be that expensive, right? right? So I always say you should be looking for other benefits from the equity partner. They should be able to open doors that you wouldn't otherwise have. Maybe they have expertise that you don't have on your team. They have experience scaling companies. Um, They have relationships with large national customers. All of those things are really great benefits of an equity partner. You may not need all of those things. Right. Or you may, more importantly, many of our clients, in fact, I'm looking at one today, where they're going to need both equity and debt. And the benefit of having some debt is they don't have to raise as much equity as they otherwise would, and they won't have to dilute their ownership as much as they otherwise would. So considering debt versus equity when you're a startup is one of the things that people can come talk to you about. And then another thing that I know um, your company uh, helps out with is turnarounds. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, we talked about startups and rapidly growing companies and why they may not be great um, candidates for traditional bank financing. Well, the turnaround situation is also very common. These are mature companies they've been around for a long time for many years in their history they've have a you know they've been profitable and they've had bank lines for many years well something happens in their business it could be you know loss of some key people they they decided to expand into a new manufacturing facility and they supply projections to the bank but then you know it doesn't go as planned 
and they do suffer losses. And if they suffer losses for too long, that's when you hear about banker, banking fatigue, meaning their, their bank gets tired of providing capital to them and hearing that, oh, yet another quarter, they didn't actually meet their projections and they're suffering losses. And that's when a bank says, okay, time out. We no longer feel comfortable extending you this line of credit. We need some options. Either you're going to supply additional equity so we feel comfortable continuing to line, you know, or pay down our line a little bit, or you find alternative sources of capital. And that's when we step in. We're often a temporary lender while a company needs that time and space to execute a turnaround. Now, there's all kinds of asset-based lenders. Some are bank-owned and they have only slightly higher rates but and more restrictions than traditional bank lines, but they're still bank-owned, so they typically still have financial covenants. They have those debt service coverage ratios and other restrictions uh, and covenants in order to continue to qualify for that kind of lending. We're on a non-bank-owned lender, so we don't have financial covenants. We rely, like I said, on the collateral. And during that time, that gives a company the time and space to execute their turnaround. They may need to put in, bring in some key people, bring in some turnaround consultants to help them execute a turnaround, reduce cost, try to increase their sales. Sometimes they have to invest in sales and marketing efforts in order to increase sales all during that time so that they can regain that profitability so they can return to a bank. And that's when we step in as a temporary lender, again, offering a line based on their available collateral. What's the typical duration that you're giving a That's a great question. We, you know, most of our clients stay with us, I would say 18 months to three years, some faster than that, some longer than that uh, for a variety of reasons. If it's, for example, a startup that they just know they're going to continue to invest in their business and invest in their business and they'll just not be a candidate for bank finance for some time, I can imagine they'd stay with us a little bit longer. So with the turnaround situation, can you give us a little bit more of a concrete hypothetical? There's lots of different factors that you just mentioned. Is there something that, I don't know, is there, good, is there any stories you could tell yeah. us? I mean, you don't, I, I don't want you to breach any confidentiality yeah, or anything like that, no, but what's I will, a good story for A them? good story. I, will, I won't, as you mentioned, I, you know, we obviously don't discuss the specific circumstances about our clients, but I'll tell a typical story. You know, company, a company that's in a specific industry that decided to expand their facility. They, they wanted to grow their an extension of their line from their traditional business. They decided to you know get bigger space with the idea that, well, they're gonna grow into it in five years. Well, of course, that means they're making payments on space that they currently don't use. Mm-hmm. And their business didn't grow as fast as they had hoped. So as a result, they're suffering losses. And I got a call from a banker. Mm-hmm. who told us, okay, well, we have this client. They've been great for many years. They d- decided to expand. Unfortunately, you know, they're not meeting their expectations. We need to be taken out. They're, they're paying for 10,000 extra square feet that they're not getting value from. That's 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 right. And the owner may have been, you know, often also very common. Uh, owner wants to, you know, take some money out of the business for their own personal needs and personal expenses. So they're not keeping the equity that the business has retained over the years in the business per se, they're also, they need to take money out themselves. And so that while there may have been, if they kept all the equity in the company, there would have been an equity cushion that the company felt comfortable with. But when they don't, 
that's when the bank says, okay, you know, you need to find another lender. The tricky situation there was, you know, the bank had lines and a term loan, and they'd also taken out other loans, which unbeknownst to them, that lender had filed a UCC, was what we call it. They filed a lien against all the assets against their business. And when they first came to us, they didn't have sufficient assets to be able to pay off both the bank and the other lender. And so that's a great example of it took time for them to pay down that other lender when then we could step in when there were sufficient assets to cover the bank liability. Okay, Nabil, so then that's kind of hot that I'm getting from a lot of my clients and just out there in general is this idea of revenue-based loans, which I feel like banks aren't typically going to do in that exact model. Obviously, they're, they're collecting on cash flow. But can you talk about revenue-based loans and is that something you guys do? That's a great question. That comes up often because of the nature of certain businesses. They may not have assets to qualify for traditional asset-based lending that we provide or other asset-based lenders. But I have placed and I've advised companies that have to come talk to me about, well, you know, you won't qualify for asset-based lending, but you know, the way your business is set up, for example, a subscription service, a software subscription service where they have recurring revenues, it's very predictable cash flow based on existing contracts and that they're growing, they're a great candidate for revenue-based loans. And the way revenue-based loans work is, you know, a revenue-based lender will look at the historical revenues and they're projected and say, okay, we'll feel comfortable uh, lending you X amount. Typically, it's some multiple of the number of, of their revenue, of their monthly revenue. And let's pretend I'm just throwing out a number. Maybe it's three times their monthly revenue or five times their monthly revenue is the rate of the, is the size of the initial loan. And the way some of these revenue-based lenders will work is you're going to pay us back over a course of a term, but it's not set in stone. It's, you know, we're targeting that you may pay us back over two years. But we're going to just take a percentage of your revenue every month so that you can, we know you can service the debt payment. And if you grow faster than you expect, you're going to pay us back quicker. If you grow slower than you expect, you're going to pay us back over a longer period of time than we initially expect. But that's typically the model. And of course, the lender needs to make their return on capital. So embedded in that return of how much you're going to pay back is their return needs. That's how that works. And and does it, it there, there must be an end date. It, it must have a maturity date or does it does it typically or does it not? Well, the maturity date is when they've paid back the set amount. So, a great example. Let's say it's a million dollar loan, you you get an infusion of capital of a million dollars and you're going to pay us back you need to pay us back a million four over the course of 2 years, let's say, or two and a half years. But no one knows exactly when you're going to be able to pay off the million four. It depends on your actual revenue stream over the next, you know, over the next period. And it may target to two and a half years. If it's two and a half years, you can you can calculate that interest rate that's implied. Ah. But but um, yeah, there's no set term per se. Or maybe they may, you know. If obviously the projections are wildly wrong, then maybe they may have a set term and they expect to be paid after three years or whatever. But it's all going to be based in the terms of the contract. So the actual percentage is less at play. It's more, this is what you're going to end up paying. The duration it takes to do that is just based on the performance of your company. Correct. Exactly yeah. right. And that, that, so that's a unique model. I've placed you know several companies in that kind of model where they just don't 
have receivables. You know, for example, direct to consumer companies or subscription companies, that kind of thing. So who's the ideal for you and your business then? What what is it that you specifically target and who can you best help? That is a great question. Thank you. It is typically clients that are B2B businesses, so they have commercial accounts receivable. That's you know number one, meaning they actually provide goods or services to other companies so that on terms. So they have receivables. They may have inventory, so you know, manufacturers or distribution companies or other kinds of companies where they may have inventory that they want to lend against. Or, um, you know, for us, we'll lend against equipment. That's different. That's not a line of credit that fluctuates, but rather a actual term loan secured by the value of the equipment and machinery that they have in their shop. And we get a lot of inquiries like that because we'll, we'll do standalone equipment loans, which most asset-based lenders don't do. But then there are other, other lenders out there. Our sweet spot is lines or loans from 500,000 to 5 million. That typically means companies usually in the $5 million annual revenue range up to 50 million. That's the target sweet spot for us. Um, but there are lots of ABL lenders who start at a much larger amount. Um, for smaller, less than $500,000, you would be hard-pressed to find an asset-based lender that will provide a loan, but typically factoring companies can do that. And I used to be a, I, that's how I got into this business. I used to own my own factoring company to do loans starting at fifty dollars or $100,000. That is a podcast for another day. We will, we'll have to have you back to teach us about factoring too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to do that. So I imagine that you have a lot of people approach you that aren't aren't a perfect fit for what you do. I imagine you have a, a decent network of folks that you refer out to. Yes, we absolutely do. I have preferred lending partners that Celtic or I have had experience with that have treated clients right. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're uh, you know they do what they say they're going to do, and they're fair. And they they'll do a variety of kinds of lending that you know maybe Celtic Capital doesn't do or maybe lend to companies that Celtic Capital won't. For example, we don't do construction loans because of the, the nature of construction loans. There's, there's liens, there's holdbacks, there's often progress payments. We won't lend against that kind of accounts receivable, but there are lenders who specialize in that kind of lending. I'm happy to refer those kinds of clients to those kinds of lenders. So if somebody did want to reach out and talk with you and see if they would be a good fit or even plumb your, your, the depths of your knowledge to see if there's something else that would be a better fit. How do people contact you? That's great. I, uh, you can first call me. My number is 206-660-8197. Or they can contact me via email, Nabil, N-A-B-I-L, at Celtic, C-E-L-T-I-C, capital, C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Simple as that. And I try to be as responsive as possible. Usually you'll get a call back within, you know, 24 hours or so and just talk about your situation, what your needs are, and um, if, if I can help you or if I can find somebody else who can. That's perfect. So we should probably wind this down. Is there anything you want to make sure our listeners hear that we didn't manage to cover today? No, I just want to thank you, both of you, for inviting me on to talk about this subject. It's a subject that most people don't know much about until they absolutely need it. Um, sure. And that's right. And then they're exploring their options, and it's a whole bewildering world, right? Absolutely. Nabil, it was excellent having you with us today. Thank you very much. Once again, I'm Alexander Theo Harris. And I'm Peter Smith. Thanks for listening.